What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me in the latest Morecast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. The Denver Nuggets beat the Toronto Raptors uh, as of this recording last night. Um, it was a, uh, overall, it was a pretty dominant performance. Um, the Nuggets got a little bogged down in the zone defense hell, as I like to put it. Um, <clears throat> everyone here knows my niche issue with uh, um, zone defense, so I won't get further into that. But I think I think I'm going to start pointing out something that that should be pretty evident to people by now. First half, I'm going to talk about the Denver Nuggets and going their their schedule going from January into April at the end of the year. And uh, in the second half, I'm going to talk to you about the stupid ass uh, straw poll that Tim Bontemps released today and uh, how uh, it's just so poisoned discourse around MVP and all this stuff, which I don't care for anyway, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, the Nuggets played uh, their 29th game last night, and by the time we get to January 1st, well, in fact, on January 1st, they will play their 35th game of the year. To put this into perspective, there is four months from January to uh, basically mid-April uh, that uh, will be played. And uh, the Nuggets will only have, as of January 1st, 47 games to go. 48, but they'll play on January 1st. So including that one, there will only be 47 games to be played. They will have played 35 games by that point. Um, to kind of give you an idea of, of how compressed that is, um, the, the games start in basically mid-October. So there's two and a half months. Two, actually two and a quarter months um, that the NBA plays games up to January. So the Nuggets will have played over, uh, well, basically nearly half their schedule by the time they get to January 1st. Think about that for a second. Now, there are times like this. The NBA has been known to do this to the Denver Nuggets. There are times where they schedule road trips that make no sense, like the Nuggets did, what was it, Atlanta to uh, Chicago last week um, in, in a back-to-back. It was, it was insane. You know, that, well, that sort of thing is stupid, but they managed to win. Um, this Nuggets team uh, will have, by the... You know, they're 19 and 10 right now. Uh, they play Brooklyn tomorrow, and then they play, uh, uh, I think, Charlotte uh, on a back-to-back after that, so another compressed um, thing. And then they play on uh, Christmas Day, and then they will have another back-to-back right after that. It is, it's just the, – and then in January, they'll play, like, midway through January, they play, like, two consecutive back-to-backs. The interesting thing about this, though, is, like, through the rest of the year, the Nuggets only have, like, I think by that, they will only have three sets of back-to-backs um, going forward after January, I think. They may have two in January. Who knows? But the Nuggets don't the, – the schedule relaxes. Um, I've always pointed this out, but the, 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 the NBA schedule makers, yes, they have to do deal with the situation of the Nuggets sharing an arena, which is, which is um, a real quandary sometimes. You've got to fit the games in when they fit. Obviously, there's also concerts and stuff like that. So um, a lot of times these schedules are made almost, you have to use almost a scientific kind of way to do it. But they also 
one of the factors in the way the NBA schedules think. Well, two two factors I want to talk about. First of all, the in-season tournament. Everyone knows my feeling on the in-season tournament. It was I, I think it's just a gimmick, and I, I think I think the the benefit the NBA got from that wasn't worth what they did with the schedule. Um, the Nuggets, for whatever reason, were the team designated to have the most games and the most compressed schedule the first two and a half months of the season. A lot of that had to do with the in-season tournament. They did get some rest um, because they, and, and thank God, by the way, because I think that benefited them. Uh, they got some rest uh, by not having to go to Vegas for the in-season tournament thing. They got a couple two, two, three day off periods, um, which I think helped helped get Jamal Murray back and stuff like that. But what the NBA does sometimes is that they not only do, not sometimes, all the time, um, it was about 2012 where the NBA uh, made a very big point to eliminate the Nuggets back-to-back home court advantage. Um, This has been complained about by coaches for I mean, the Nuggets have been in the NBA for almost 50 years now, and even going back to the ABA, back-to-backs in the in the in Denver are worse than other places. Uh, not necessarily as bad in Utah because Utah is closer to the West Coast. To be honest with you, it's it's it, the, it it's not a huge time difference, but it's actually it makes a difference in travel and stuff like that. Yes, there's an altitude thing, but it's not as severe as Denver. So they made it a point to limit the amount of people coming from the West Coast to Denver on the like either the last game of a road trip, or um, I, you know not only that but like a uh, a back to back coming from specifically the West Coast to Denver. Going going from the East Coast to Denver is different. Um, or or night they rarely go from East Coast, but if they're starting a road trip in Denver, or if they're coming from the Midwest to Denver, it's okay because there's the time difference. You 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 gain an hour. You don't you know you don't lose an hour. Um, so there there is a there's all these factors coming into it. But the NBA has done this a couple times where the scheduling on this the the actual scheduling has been very lopsided and this is another one of those years last year was another one of those years too nuggets had a ton of road games to start the year um this way the nuggets have played uh their eight and eight on the road and 11 and two at home so they've played five more um uh excuse me three more road games so far and then by the end of this road trip they will have played five more road games and they have played home games um so there's another part of the schedule there's been a lot of things going against the Nuggets, including their youth, including Jamal's injury. It has just been things that have stacked up. And, and if you think about it, in Toto, um, this whole thing uh, is it's remarkable that the Nuggets are 19 and 10 due to all these factors. Uh, a lot of things have been stacked up against them. Lack of rest. Aaron Gordon got injured for a few games. Uh, it's just it's. It has been, and, and Jokic had two games where he shot like crap. Um, he had one, uh, he's been ejected from two this year. Um, they won both those games. Um, so these are these are things that the Nuggets have had to overcome. And the, the NBA doesn't really do this with other championship teams. It's very weird. But the NBA has done this to the Denver Nuggets for years now. It's not. It's not just the they won a championship thing. This is this is a, a an NBA thing. 
obviously some of this has to do with the fact that they 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 share an arena with the avalanche and honestly this is one of the huge drawbacks to sharing an arena with a hockey team uh you have to go around their schedule too and it, it's just it makes for a mess and sometimes the nuggets schedule is a mess well all this to be said in January to uh, mid, uh, early April, when they finish the uh, their this part of the schedule, it'll be three and a half months where the Nuggets will be only be playing forty seven games. They will get a lot more rest. Um, it won't be as severe. Less four games in five nights. Less seven games in eleven nights. Okay, the Nuggets played two stretches of seven games in eleven nights this year. That is insane. That is absolutely insane. It, what that does to hurt you when you are um, when you are trying to get up some momentum is insane. Also, take into the consideration that a lot of um, the Oklahoma City Thunder's success this year is the fact that they have only played twenty five games. Okay, by the time uh, we get to the end of the year, the Nuggets will have played more games. Um, I think it will be about five, four or five games more than the Oklahoma City Thunder um, and more games on the road. And this is a issue. And some of it is, I mean, look, the, uh, the, the Minnesota Timberwolves have only played 26 games and they've played uh, 12 games at home. Okay. Uh, this is a, this is a, what I'm saying to everyone is that the schedule opens up and the Nuggets will get a lot more rest. And this is going to be absolutely huge. All things being equal, this was going to be huge. Uh, I think what happens, and I always say this, and, and everyone who's listened to the Morecast or read anything of mine on Denver Stiffs knows that my philosophy is you can't really judge anything until you get about 15 to 20 games into a season. Um, and you can also make two judgments. You can make early season judgment, where you can write off, you can certainly write off teams by now. Like I, un- unless the Memphis Grizzlies have some sort of uh, huge renaissance with Jaw coming back, and look, they they the Jaw came back and they beat the New Orleans Pelicans his first game back. So look, it's it's it could be certainly possible that the the uh, Memphis Grizzlies suddenly become a juggernaut. But most teams, like you can write off the Detroit Pistons, who are. Oh, what two and twenty-five or something like that, um, and they have a twenty-four game losing streak right now. Or teams like that, you can you can write completely write off. Um, there are teams that you know are going to be great. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves, Boston Celtics, who had a great win against the the uh, Sacramento Kings last night. Um, you know the the Sixers, the, the 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 Bucks are starting hopefully to get for their sake to get things figured out. Uh, on the Western Conference side, it's much more competitive. So you got it definitely is going to be the Timberwolves, definitely going to be the Nuggets. Uh, the Lakers have fallen way back, which I th- which is was one hundred percent predictable for a team as as old as the Los Angeles Lakers. It was one hundred percent predictable that they would fall back as much as they did after this. They put absolutely everything to winning the in-season tournament. And that sort of thing, you know, takes a lot out of you. And it's going to be a while before the Lakers get back. The Lakers are 15 and 12 now. Uh, so and they've won, they've lost two in a row, um, uh, and it's, it's it hasn't looked good since they have come back from the in season tournament. The same thing with the Indiana Pacers, that it's just one hundred percent doesn't matter about the quality or anything like that. You do something like the in season tournament, it's going to take a lot out of you, and it's just not like every every, every regular season game. The NBA is trying to make it more competitive. I've gone over this before. I'm not going to do it again. Um, so. 
obviously there is a lot of difference to the way things have been played now versus the way they will be played through the rest of this year. And the Nuggets are benefiting from the schedule easing up. And things may look a lot different to us then. Now, obviously, the same factors of having all this youth on the roster and having uh, all the in injuries considered and, you know, the schedule compression and all this stuff, you know, the, the youth and the, uh, and the potential for injury is not going to go away. Obviously, but there's there's some good teams in the in the Western Conference. You know, the Thunder are legitimately good. They have just played remarkably less games than the Denver Nuggets, and that sort of thing is a factor. We cannot avoid that sort of thing. It it, it the Thunder are in a in a better position because they've only played 25 games, and they're a lot younger than the Denver Nuggets. Uh, so um, in in total, so there, that's a factor too. Um, you know the Mavericks are missing Kyrie Irving. Uh, it's just it's it's going to be a time for the Nuggets to make hay while the sun shines. That to end the year from Christmas to January first, the Nuggets will have, be on a four-game homestand, which will be their longest homestand since uh, early November. I think they had a four-game homestand in November. And I don't think the Nuggets have a homestand longer than four games this year. So someone who's listening to this can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so uh, obviously it's going to be a time for the Nuggets to start taking advantage of their schedule opening up. Um, so by the time we get to the end of this current road trip the Nuggets are on, the Nuggets are going to play a back-to-back -back, uh, on Friday and Saturday. So by that point, the Nuggets will have played 18 um, road games. And then by the time we get to January, it will have evened out. Um, largely, uh, the Nuggets will have played uh, 17 home games and 18 road games. So by that time, by the time you get to January 1st, and keep in mind again, the Nuggets play on January 1st, um, the Nuggets will have played 35 games. And only having 47 games after that is huge. And I'm really thinking by that point we'll get a better idea of what way, way that how the nuggets look how they how they will be approaching the rest of the year and uh, what they will look like going forward so keep that in mind there's a, some reason for optimism there the nuggets are 19 and 10 um in in for a team that just won a tamp championship that's definitely treading water but uh hopefully things will the needle will be definitely pointing up in january or at least at the end of december with the home games and we'll see how that looks all right, uh, before I get to the second half of the podcast, I want to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wanzee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block there, always online at bfwcolorado.com. Uh, I just went to their uh, fifth anniversary party. It was great. Um, was, thank you for the invite, Mr. Uh, James Blanchard. I appreciate it. Um, it was a fun time with good people. Uh, they got great wine there. Uh, I, I per, I'm a red guy, so I'll, obviously I'm liking. They got Pinots in bottle. They got and on tap. They got Cabernets, Malbecs, uh, anything you need as far as red wines there. But they also got whites. Great selection of whites. Uh, Rieslings from partnerships with Western Slope Wineries, and um, everything you need in your favorite local wine bar. They also have locations in Fort Collins. Uh, in Sonoma County, California, the original place, and uh, in uh, uh, Golden, which is like a private tasting room and stuff like that. It's a great place, great wines, great vibes, one of my favorite places to go in Denver. 
Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Mozzie in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwcolorado.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you. The straw poll came out again. Uh, I have had it up to my eyeballs with the straw poll. Um, it was it was last year that you really started to see, in combination with uh, with the you know the, the the proliferation of social media and how toxic it is toxic it is particularly on Twitter X or whatever you want to call it uh, since Elon Musk basically made it a free for all for all racists and all this stuff and. The, uh, the what it has done is turn the discourse, which has always been not great, but it's turned the MVP discourse into just complete nonsense. And contributing to that is ESPN straw poll done by Tim Bontemps. I don't know if this was Bontemps' idea or if ESPN just kind of foisted this on him, uh, but what this has done is just turn the MVP thing into just a giant morass of negativity and and everything. And this has nothing to do with Nikola Jokic. I, I, I care about, as and I need to reiterate, I care about as much as the MVP as Nikola Jokic does, which is very little. Um, it's, it's something that is done and designed to stir discourse during the year. Now, the MVP, the MVP thing is part and parcel to something that has been a more negative part of what the NBA has decided to do to market itself, you know. I, I went on this, uh, uh, I think it was earlier this year, I did this like written essay about how Nikola Jokic is um, different and the NBA is lazy with marketing. The NBA is lazy with marketing. Uh, they they have, because the the demographic overall of uh, the NBA is tends to be skewed really young, um, what happens is the discourse becomes online centered and I've always said about Twitter or these other you know social media aspects you know very specifically Twitter and TikTok is it's filled with a bunch of teenagers and I'll never forget something my dad told me years and years ago well not years and years and years ago but it was probably a handful of years ago when I was complaining about discourse on Twitter about something I don't remember exactly the subject and uh, he said uh, what's the average demographic of someone who is on Twitter and I said oh I think it's like I don't know 18 uh, like 16 to 22 23 24 much younger than me and he says well teenagers are dicks he says, and you were a dick when you were a teenager too. And I was like, uh, you know, it was a, it was a, it was an inarticulate, not, not inarticulate, but it was a, it wasn't exactly a pussyfooting version of, of what to say to someone to stop paying attention to online discourse. Um, and a lot of that is, is very true And the MVP thing feeds into people's uh, desire to be a dick without accountability. And it is, it is really frustrating to have everything that you want to talk about in terms of analysis be taken over by this, this pseudo dick waving contest that goes on in the MVP debate and it, and it sucks. 
Joel Embiid has played the best of any player uh, so far this year. You can make an argument for uh, several other players. Luka Doncic was like fifth in this voting, and he's probably he's right up there with Embiid. Uh, I think Jokic just, just doesn't care enough to make it a and this is 100% true folks this isn't a value judgment yeah Jokic just doesn't think about things like that and he just it's 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 just not something that factors in Embiid has scored over 30 points in 13 straight games the guy is clearly um, on an MVP track there's no denying this Um, however what this discourse has done is it's poisoned fandom it's poisoned discourse and has made talking about anything else almost impossible and espn is aware of this and espn has a lot of problems right now but playing into this with bontemps's um mvp straw poll has now become to a point where i think we need to start talking about it and we need to start talking about how poisonous it's it's made everything it was the third or second straw poll where Jokic was so far ahead of Embiid last year that started the uh, intense very personal backlash honestly I, I whatever the result was I don't I don't think it really matters but what it did was it turned things nasty and it doesn't need to be that way Obviously, there's going to be people who are, are in their camps and want to advocate for who, whatever position they've got. That's fine. But it turns the it turned last year was like the most dramatic example. And, and he, by the way, ESPN probably considers whatever happened a success as bad as it was. And I'm not blaming Tim Bontemps. It's just his straw poll. It's, I'm sure if it wasn't Bontemps, it would have been someone else uh, at ESPN who was designated to be doing this ridiculous straw poll. The straw poll changes throughout the year, and there's no point in doing it. They do it, uh, what, what is it, four times during the year? I mean, it's insane. It is absolutely insane. You don't need to be doing this this thing this many times during year, specifically this early in the year. Do if you're going to do one, do it towards the end of the year where you get a better idea of where people are at. Don't don't do it several times during the year, and, and it just it just gins people up, it turns these teenagers on on uh, uh, Twitter and TikTok into raging assholes, and it take turns the debate into something that. ESPN then thinks, okay, this is engagement. We need to engage in this. Then you get idiots like Kendrick Perkins making racist allegations and stuff like that. And then it turns into ridiculousness. Um, It's long past the time where we need to either limit the straw poll or eliminate it. It, Just for the betterment of the discourse online. You know, we, there's no reason for these, these things to happen. It, it, it doesn't serve anyone any purpose. And I don't think we are, uh, I think this is, this is going to sense really pretentious, but I think as a society, we need to evolve beyond, um, uh, popularity contests and pit and, and dick waving contests. It's just, it's, it's our fetishes, a fetishization of, of horse racing. Uh, and, and I'm not talking about the Nicole Jokic kind of, kind of horse racing. The, the horse race aspect of it is, is we should be beyond this. 
and it's it's propagated by an ESPN slash Disney company that is in real big trouble right now. And they try to stir engagement by doing this shit. And it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, if Embiid wins the MVP this year, it'll, hopefully it'll be because he deserves it. Uh, honestly, I think Nuggets fans have probably evolved, or not evolved, but moved past the need to to have any sort of real vociferous debate about, about this sort of thing. Um at least hopefully. I know that I've never been there. I hate the MVP award. I think a finals MVP is a much more valuable and indicative award because if you win the finals MVP, that means you won the fucking championship. And that that is that is where my brain is with this. Um so uh that's okay. That's my little rant on the straw poll. Um before we go, I wrote a new column on Denver Stiffs about Michael Malone. Um I want to make a couple things clear. Uh, what I was talking about in that article was his hard job with having to try to compete while, uh, uh, developing youth. And I think, I think, I think that really puts him in a difficult position because you, it is, it's almost diametrically opposed those goals to both develop and compete. You, you just either live with the mistakes or you, or you uh, are truly trying to win. And he's got a tightrope. None of this has to do with any sort of my view on his critique, my critiquing of his coaching. Um, he is still a hothead. He still has very serious flaws in his coaching approach. He won a championship this last year and that buys him a lot of time. Uh, but, a lot of Malone's issues are still there as a coach. And thank God we have Nikola Jokic. Um, and thank God he's got this close relationship with uh, uh, Jamal Murray. But it's just not, it's not the same. It's not the same. My sympathy for the hard job that Michael Malone has this year with his coaching has literally nothing to do with my view of who he is as a coach. Um, he is a fundamentally flawed coach who is was gifted in 2015 one of the best players of the last generation which is is the basically the same story with a lot of coaches i mean imagine greg popovich without tim duncan i always go back to greg popovich but imagine greg popovich if he just had a team of david robinson and sean elliott for the rest of the 90s and some other team. Oh, I'd say, what if uh, Tim, Tim Duncan went and ended up being drafted by the Denver Nuggets, who are also had the same record as the, uh, or excuse me, had a one game, uh, one more game because they won the last game of the season for whatever reason against the uh, Dallas Mavericks, which is, I can't believe they did that. Anyway, in 1997, the Nuggets lucked out and won the lottery. And where are the Spurs now? Is Greg Popovich the same coach? Um, Phil Jackson without Michael Jordan and Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. And Scotty Pippen. Imagine those scenarios, and uh, it's a lot of things are different. It's, it's like with a lot of coaches, your players make your coach, and uh, it's it's you know good for him. You know he's a flawed coach, but I do have sympathy for what he has to do this year. Michael Malone is in a difficult position. Uh, it is hard to develop and compete. It is just hard to do and with the nuggets having so much youth on the roster they, it's imperative that these guys play 
So he is put into a position of having to live with their mistakes. And the bench has been a lot better, although last night pointed to a, an issue. Um, the Raptors going zone with a bench unit that can't shoot uh, just sapped them. You know, that bench unit needs to play defense and run transition. And if you, sometimes youth got, youth gets caught up in, in trying to prove that they can shoot or getting stuck in bad processes on uh, offense. You know, they have Reggie Jackson leading that unit and Reggie Jackson is an ISO guy. Reggie Jackson will call for a pick so he can penetrate. You can't do that against zone defense. You need a shooter. And Julian Strother wasn't able to hit shots. Peyton Watson's not an upside shooter, even though he's hit like one or two, one, three for like, I think, four consecutive games now. So that is something that they're going to have to work through. That is part and parcel to the development. Uh, how long will the Nuggets be able to deal with developing players while still trying to be one of the top teams in the Western Conference. The Nuggets' biggest factor, by the way, if their record at 19 and 10, a good three or four of those losses are just because they didn't have Jamal Murray. And uh, the record would look a lot different if Murray was healthy all year. But the, it, the stress it puts on the starting lineup is huge, and that's something that is definitely worth watching for the rest of the year. But I do have sympathy for Michael Malone. It's just it's a difficult position to be put into to uh, to have to try to develop and simultaneously to competing. It's just it's hard. Um, but as far as my personal view is that uh, he is a is a very flawed coach, and um, that is something that he just is fundamentally to who he is. And this is Michael Malone's ninth year with the Nuggets. I don't think he's going to change. So. All right, thank you all for joining me in the latest Morecast. Uh, I'm going to be back probably in a couple days. I'm going to sneak in another one before we get to uh, Christmas, and uh, we'll be talking about that. So anyway, thank you all for joining me. I'll be talking to you soon. Goodbye.